Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy, please. Chapter 9. Before we get digging into Deuteronomy 9 and uh, looking into Exodus um, 32, let's take a moment, let's pray, please. Father, thank You for the goodness of Your Word that You have supplied us with all the information we need to know about You, and that You take Your Word seriously, that Your Word is the focus that You desire for Israel to base all of their hopes and all of their movements on, of how to make decisions, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, your Word is uh, the dominant and the only answer. Help us, Father, to um, sort through this event of the rebellion uh, with the golden calf and the breaking of the conditional contract and uh, to uh, understand the ramifications that poured out of that. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you remember last week, one thing that I asked you to do with Deuteronomy chapter 9 uh, was to read from a, verses 8 through to uh, about 21 to 24. Was that correct? 23? 25? I don't know. 19? Going once. Okay, that's good. Here's what I want to do, if you wouldn't mind, is... I'd like to start in chapter 9, verse 8. And I will go ahead and read through this so that we get the idea. We'll turn over. Well, we'll put a piece of paper here. If you want, you can put your envelope that says God the Father with you tucked away in there. Uh, you can put it here in Deuteronomy 9. We'll turn back to Exodus 32. And I want us to look at uh, the events comparatively of what's going on. Because remember, Moses doesn't bring up everything here. He is reminding the children of Israel of the great sin that the previous generation committed a sin of unbelief in the forming and forging of the golden calf. It's, it's very serious. So let's, let's take a moment, let's look here. Deuteronomy 9, look at verse 8. Even at Horeb, you provoked Yahweh to wrath, and Yahweh was so angry with you that He would have destroyed you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which Yahweh had made with you, then I was reminded on the mountain... Sorry, then I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights and neither ate bread nor drank water. Yahweh gave me the two tablets of stone written by the finger of Elohim and on them were all the words which Yahweh had spoken with you at the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. It came about at the end of the 40 days and nights that Yahweh gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then Yahweh said to me, Arise, go down from here quickly, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made a molten image for themselves. Yahweh spoke further to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down the mountain while the mountain was burning with fire and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I saw that you had indeed sinned against Yahweh your Elohim. You had made for yourselves a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which Yahweh had commanded you. I took hold of the two tablets and threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. I fell down before Yahweh as at the first forty days and nights. 
I neither ate bread nor drank water because all your sin which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of Yahweh to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which Yahweh was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But Yahweh listened to me that time also. Yahweh was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him, so I prayed for Aaron at the same time. I took your sinful thing, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine as dust, and I threw its dust into the brook that came down from the mountain. Again, it, uh, well, yeah, let's stop there, 21. We'll stop there. Now, what we want to do is if you want to, if you want to keep this place marked in your Bible so that you understand we've read these events hopefully you read through them a couple times throughout the week you're familiar with what's going on in this passage but now I want to move to Exodus 32 because there are some things that take place that Moses did not fill in now if you're someone who has a Bible that has cross references and things like that if they're good cross references they've cross referenced a lot of that passage with what's going on in Exodus chapter um, 32 So if you wouldn't mind, put something there and and turn with me, please. And we're going to start in verse 1 of 32. I love hearing the, the rustling of Bibles. It's good. Now when the Bible, now when the Bible, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, The people assembled around Aaron and said, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now pause for just a second. What is the request of the people to Aaron? Make us a God. Now, do they have a a conception, an Egyptian conception? Or a Yahweh conception? conception of what a god is everybody see that how come yahweh wasn't god how come they didn't say make us something like yahweh to go before us what's that you can't see him there was evidence of him was there not pillar day fire by night manna water coming out of the rock split the red sea killed pharaoh and all of their oppressors But why is this choice make for us a God to go before us? Because that's what they were raised in, steeped in. Hmm, well that's the way my grandfather always did it, so why not? That justifies it as being right. Is that right? No? Notice that. With all the revelation that they've had from God, now that they've walked with Him for a period of time and seen the miraculous things that He has done, there was no excuse for this sin. Notice that the request to make us a God that will go before us is a strike of unbelief. Does everybody see this? It's huge. It really is. Verse 2, Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, yes, their sons had pierced ears, and your daughters, and bring them to me. They also had them in their noses, by the way, which was considered a sign of adornment unto God. So we should probably all go get our noses pierced, yes? Probably. Gold ring in our nose. No, I don't love God that much. Pagan. All right. Anyway, (laughs) it's kidding. Verse 3. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Now here's a question. Aren't these people slaves? 
They don't have anything. Where'd they get all this gold? The Egyptians. One of the ways that God showed them that they were going to have favor in His sight and that He was going to be blessing them along the way is as you leave, you are going to request their gold. And they are going to willingly and lavishly hand it over to you so that you will get out of Egypt. Because you've got to have something to end up building the ark, right? You've got to have something to end up building the, the, the bronze uh, uh, altar, the laver, showbread table, all of that stuff. You've got to have all that stuff. Well, notice they're using it for other things. So moving on here. Verse 4, He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God. This is your Elohim, O Israel, who brought you up out from the land of Egypt. Now remember, why is this such a horrible thing? Because you have big G God, Yahweh, the Creator. And then you have little G gods. Don't, don't let your mind go, oh, well, this is just talking about little carved idols that they had. Carved idols were a representation of false deities, demons, fallen angels who are in charge of overseeing the nations in righteousness and will be judged because of their unrighteousness. We see this in the Psalms. I think it's Psalm 87 that we see this. So anytime we're talking about that a God has been fashioned with a tool, we're talking about that demonic influence had crept in. And notice this. If you and I are left up to ourselves, well, let me ask you this. If you were told to carve a God, what would you carve? What would you carve? Cross? Come on now, that's the Christian answer. So there you go. Something that's going to be advantageous? Or notice this, when the word, make for us a God, that idea is put out there, notice the best that Aaron could come up with was a calf. If I were to come up with a God, it would be another created thing that I would gravitate towards the image so that we know what it looks like. Now why is that important? Deuteronomy chapter 4. Remember, when Yahweh spoke from the mountain and He told you, the Ten Commandments, you did not see a form. It was of no created thing. You did not see anything of the birds of the air. You didn't see anything of the animals that are on the land. You didn't even see anything that's fish in the sea or anything that would be considered a celestial, unseen, otherworldly being. There was no form. There was only what? His voice. Only His Word. Notice, the fixation was not to be on an image. Guys, we are so... So prone to this. I've just got to have something tangible before me. And when somebody wants to offer the Word, well, I, I wanted anything but that. You ever tried, Anybody ever come to you for help and you point them to the Bible and it's like the most disappointing situation you ever found you, themselves in? They come to you all depressed and upset. and You're like, well, look at the Word. And it's like all of a sudden you're depressed because of how the way they responded to that. Well, I know what this was said. That's not what it means. That's just your interpretation. What's that? Yeah, I came to you for help, not a sermon. Talk to me like a friend, not a preacher. Oh, forgive me, I don't know the difference. You know? If I'm not telling you truth, then what am I telling you? 
well, I want something to make me feel good, and I want something to make the other person look bad, and I want something to create some drama that's real intriguing, and I want to be all entrenched in it, and yay, me. You know? Let's be honest. And if, and if this is you, maybe this is the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I'm not even going to apologize for it. This is good. You ever thought about why sometimes you ladies read Cosmo and Red Book and all that stuff? Not all of you do, but you ever thought why? A lot of people get in there because they're looking for answers. How about your horoscope? I'm going to have a good day today. No! You're awful as a person and your heart is desperately wicked. Stop it. You know? But notice, it's, it's, it, it's all unbelief. 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 Right? Well, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I'm spiritual. You know what that tells me? Unbelief. Unbelief. I refuse to believe what the God of all creation has told me in truth and to take personal responsibility for my sin and humble myself before Him. There's got to be another way. We just need to try harder. We just need to do better. And it never ends well. It's always disappointment. It's always a thrill for the moment. And it's always garbage later. Now, let me let you into a conversation I had with somebody a while back, and they don't go to this church, okay? We'll just call him Jed, okay? There's not, but I'm using an alias, and we'll call her Delilah. Not for any reason like that, I just can't think of anything better. Jed and Delilah, sounds like a, it's a country song, but anyway, moving on. I was actually sitting down with Jed because Jed had some problems with the way that I preached. So okay, let's talk about it. So I did. And he proceeded to tell me how he was the king of his castle and the head of his home. And Usually if somebody has to tell you that, they're not. Which is a pretty dangerous giveaway kind of thing. And So I, anyway, we're talking. And I don't want to put light on this, but I think it's serious to think about how unbelief gets. So he's telling me about how he rules the roost and kind of what he says goes and all this stuff. And he turned around and said, uh, you know, my, my wife is sick with a pretty serious situation. I said, really? He said, yeah. So uh, she went out and, and, and booked this massive vacation to Hawaii for us just all of a sudden didn't tell me about it. I said, what? He goes, yeah, it's pretty expensive. I said, really? He said, yeah. What happened to this whole I rule the roost and all this stuff? What, what, what happened? Where's the disconnect here? Well, what mama wants, mama gets. We ever heard that one? Right? Or we sometimes say it this way, right? If mama ain't happy. Nobody's happy. Ladies, what gave you such entitlement to make everybody else's life a mess? Let me ask you that. But here's the thing. What is it? It's a, yeah, it's the women's lib movement. It's a strive for answers. I need something to make me feel better now. It's got to be tangible. It's got to have an experience. That solution is no different than saying, I don't care what God's word says. And here's the sad thing. They didn't care if they could afford it either. They just did it. Anybody seen interest rates in this country lately? Discover is not your friend. They're not. 
Neither is Chase. Oh, Chase. Oh, never mind. Moving on. But notice that. It's all about self-pleasure, self-will, self-serving, and Israel is no different. We couldn't wait 40 days, Aaron. Create something that is lesser than what we have so that we will be satisfied in the idea that we're getting somewhere. All of a sudden, it makes this whole idea of weight upon the Lord. It puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Why was the Old Testament given? It was, look, it was given so that we could look at the sins that people committed by denying the truth of the Word, by operating in unbelief. And we would look at it and say, I don't need to do that. What is the better option here? The better option? Can you imagine? What would have happened if Aaron would have said, you know what? Y'all wait. Because he's from Kentucky, so he would have said y'all. But y'all just wait. Just wait. Wait for him. He's going to come back down? That's exactly what would have happened, wouldn't it? They would have stoned him. Back then, they don't press charges and have you sit in a jail cell for six years before you finally have your trial. They just picked up a rock and started beating people. So there's a part of me that sits here and wants to sympathize with Aaron a little bit because his life is hanging in the balance. Not much, but a teensy-weensy bit. So notice, unbelief. And what unbelief is generating in this situation. Now moving on here. Verse 5. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. Anybody see the disconnect? Yahweh's not a cow. It seems absurd, but imagine yourself in the midst of the situation. You've got an extremely emotional people who, who are, are trying to get their minds just around the fact that they're not in slavery anymore. Uh, in fact, you guys probably know this from history books. Even after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by President Lincoln, Slaves stayed because they didn't know anything else. They sit there and they're like, in fact, there was one quote that says, they, they tell me that I'm free, but I don't know what that is. They couldn't even fathom the idea. There's a lot of Christians that are like that. They're so bound up in sin, they don't know what it is to live in the freedom that Christ provides. They don't know what it is to be walking in the Spirit and having that experience with Him. There's, oh, well, that's what I'm supposed to believe. And it's kind of orthodoxy without living. It's very odd. So notice here, there's going to be a feast. Verse 6, so the next day they rose early, they offered burnt offerings. Notice, the same type of worship that Yahweh commanded for himself, they now give it to this calf. They offer burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. Yay! Party. Aaron, craft for us a swing set kind of thing. Jamie. Yeah. It's like getting to feed venison to a deer. It's kind of weird, but funny. I don't know. Nobody thinks it's funny? I think it's hilarious. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Y'all's humor is messed up. I think that's funny. It's odd. But, yeah, it's it's weird. It is. Does anybody? Does everybody remember what a burnt offering is? Everybody remember? I mean, it's slow. 
You, you were having to burn this offering for 24 hours. It was slow, slow. In fact, whenever, whenever God says, Abraham, go and offer your son to me as a burnt offering, it was 24 hours of watching over this offering to burn it properly so that it was the proper incense before the Lord. It was an excruciating call for Abraham, I'm sure. Yet we don't see any complaint from him. So notice, this is a long process. This isn't just, yeah, offer this, let's move on. No, there's so much more than that. So moving on, uh, let's see here. Where are we at? Oh, they rose up to play. Some people believe that they rose up to play might actually have some sexual connotation to it. We don't know, possibly. Maybe if you got study notes, it might elaborate on it. I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me at this point. That's not the focus, though. Verse 7, then Yahweh spoke to Moses. Now notice, Moses was recounting this event. And in chapter 9, verse 8, this is where he starts recounting some of this. Okay? But now we've got the long play version of it. This isn't the, the cliff notes. Okay? Then the, Yahweh spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now some of your translations might say acted corruptly. This word that is used in the NASB for corrupted here in the Hebrew means to spoil, to tarnish, to soil something is the idea. To take what was otherwise great and clean and bright and to muddy all over it is the idea. So verse 8, they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your Elohim, O Israel who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now stop. Moses is on the mountain for 40 days and nights, yes? He's receiving these two tablets of the commandments. Yahweh relays to Moses exactly what was said by Aaron's mouth at the bottom of the mountain. This right here tells you what about God? He is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything. And here's the reason why this is important when we talk about focusing on, latching onto the importance of the attributes of who God is, is because if we really believed who God is as he's revealed who he is, we would actually find that we would sin less. Do you realize that? God knows all things. God is everywhere present. So if that is the case, he's here right now. So you guys wouldn't think so bad about my preaching if you really believed that he was here all the time. You see that? But think about it. When we want to respond spitefully to somebody, well, guess what? God's there. God knows it when it happens. God sees it. God's completely aware. He knows more about it than you did, even though you're the one who committed the action. All of a sudden, that gives us a moment to pause and say, maybe that's not worth it. Maybe my responses and my attitudes need to be a little bit more reverent, regardless of that being the application here. Notice that he reveals this to Moses. He says here, verse 9, Yahweh said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Anybody got your little, your little number there and over in the margin? What's it say? Stiff-necked. They are a stiff-necked people. Anybody ever had a stiff neck? Okay, there you go. So you kind of get it. They can't look around nimbly. They do not have nimbly necks. They are stiff. So notice, verse 10, Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. Now remember, we talked about that this is not just a declaration that God is making, it's also a test for Moses. 
Will Moses hold fast to God's word? God cannot destroy Israel in this way. Why? Because if he destroys the tribe of Judah, we are told in Genesis 49, the scepter will never pass from the tribe of Judah. So this idea of starting over with just Levites and going from there, that would negate the promise of the Messiah. So prophecy rests on this, okay? So now he's testing Moses with it. Look at verse 11. Then Moses entreated Yahweh his Elohim and said, O Yahweh, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Now, Yahweh could have easily said, because they're stiff-necked sinners. That's a reason why. That's probably how we would have responded. But it would be scary to challenge God, wouldn't it? Does everybody notice that Moses doesn't get rebuked for doing so? And here's the reason why. It is all about the approach that Moses uses. In fact, when you read through his, his inner workings, as he's leading the people of Israel, whenever they rise up against him or bring a complaint, have you noticed that the first thing that he doesn't do is go, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. He doesn't do that. He doesn't run and tell over the people. He doesn't start spreading around gossip. What does Moses do to deal with, with opposition? He prays. In fact, it says that they fall on their faces, which means they prostrate themselves out on the ground. And he seeks God's counsel. See, Moses' attitude is something to massively learn in this situation. So when he's approaching God, it's not like, a, but that ain't what your word says, God. He's, he's, not, he's not coming with this type of attitude. He is coming with complete humility, laying himself low, giving of himself in this situation. Notice what he says. He, he, he is interceding now for them. Verse 12, Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. In other words, your character, God, will be publicly infringed upon. This is not why you set these people free. You set them free because you have an end destiny in mind for them. In fact, they are to be your megaphone to the nations. They are supposed to live in such a way that is such a stark contrast from how pagans operate in day-to-day -day life so as to radiate your glory and for them to take notice of why they are so different. And it leads people to you. So keep this in mind. Moving on here. He says here, Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Anybody know what that word change your mind is? He's calling on God to repent. What? God can repent? Yes. Because the word means change your mind. It doesn't mean be sorrowful for sin. It doesn't mean to promise to never do it again. It doesn't mean any of these other things that we have belabored the word repent with. It means he's asking God to consider a different way. Please think differently about this decision that you've made. That helps clear up a lot when we read through the Bible. We talk about the word repentance. God repents. Sometimes they use the word relent. He decides not to do what he declared that he would do. And it's all because somebody appealed to him according to his word. Watch this. So notice, change your mind. 
about doing harm to your people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore by yourself. Uh Uh-oh, where did Moses go with this? The Abrahamic covenant. Remember, you made a covenant with these guys and to make sure that you were the one upon whom the covenant was responsible. You put Abraham to sleep and you passed through the pieces. You were the shaking of the hand. Abraham never passed through. He never shook your hand in this matter. You made a promise to him unconditionally and you will see it fulfilled. And this deals with land and seed and promise. And this plays a major factor in it. So in order for the world to be blessed through the promise that you've given, we've got to have the land of we got to have the tribe of Judah. In order for the seed to perpetuate forward, that's who the Messiah comes through. So you can't take that away. He's got to be here because you swore by your word. So God, I'm going to appeal to you, not because I'm a great person, not because Israel deserves better than what you're giving them. They certainly don't. But I'm appealing to you because your word is true, steadfast, and you are always faithful to do what you said. You will not lie. You will not compromise. You will not diminish. Tabitha, what's up? Um, what he's currently doing at the right hand of the Father? You know what's beautiful? God is not mad at you. But what? But how are you com- comparing that to Christ? Like Christ is interceding so that God won't be so mad at us? Is that what you're saying? He won't kill us? No. No, that's a Catholic idea. Yeah, it really is. It really is. It's kind of like God is super angry and grumpy all the time. He just wants to sit in his wife beater and watch television and eat potato chips all the time. It's kind of idea. And so you you kind of you kind of go and you you kind of ask Jesus if he'll kind of help you out a little bit to be okay with the father, but Jesus is in a pretty foul mood too. He ended up drinking decaf that day or something. So then what you do is is instead you appeal to Mary because she's a woman. And she will talk to the son and the father for you and everything will get good then. Yeah, she's the mother of God. Think about that one for a second. But that's usually how that's portrayed. Guys, this is a great point to bring up, but if this isn't a, a, a massive revelation that gives you assurance, God is not angry at you. He's not mad. He's not. His anger is against sin. And what happened at the cross? Jesus died for sin. Why is he testing him? Has everybody else turned away from his word? Will Moses turn away from the word? You see what I'm saying? Is Moses going to turn away? But notice, how does does Moses deal with God? How does he pray to God over a situation to intercede on behalf of people that deserve destruction? And God's saying this is what they deserve. Can God judge us for ongoing sin in our life? Absolutely he can. 
But just like we saw with the guy in 1 Corinthians, he's still saved. But God has no problem paddling his kids if he needs to. Do you ever look at your kids and say, well, last name, bloodline, you're part of the family, so just do whatever you want. We're not going to do anything. No, that's called negligence. Some people say, well, you have to be gracious. Gracious is not the absence of discipline. In fact, we're told, train a child in the way they will go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. You know what that means? Light up their rear end now over things that are wrong so that when they get older, they're not all confused about what right and wrong is. That's the idea. God is not angry at us. He's not mad at us. The issue is sin and who's going to deal with it. And get this, guys. It's not that if you don't believe in Jesus, now you have to deal with your sins. It's not. Jesus died for sin. The sins of the world. Period. When people are at the lake of fire, they're not judged because of their sins. Everybody know this? We've talked about this a few times. If, this, if that doesn't make sense to you, raise your hand, please, so we can look at it. When unbelievers appear at the great white throne judgment, and they are awaiting judgment into the lake of fire, they are not judged according to their sins, like them being in the lake of fire is them paying for their sins because they are dying a million deaths. That is not what that is. They are judged because they don't have life. They have not believed. Jesus imparts life, eternal life. Their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. Their works are considered in the multiple books that are opened to see how much revelation did they have? How much opportunity to respond? What was their capacity to believe? How many times did somebody share with them Christ? How many times did they just consider that preacher on the TV as a quack, not realizing that it was Charles Stanley actually trying to tell them the truth for a change? They said, well, Benny Hinn, they all look alike to me, whatever. You see what I'm saying, though? But you find they don't go to hell to pay for sins. They go to hell because they don't have life. They go to the lake of fire because they don't have life. They say, well, what about the people who didn't believe in Jesus? Their sins have been paid for but they haven't been forgiven because they haven't received the forgiveness. The payment's been made. Can you imagine continuing to pay on your mortgage, but somebody already paid it for you? You would be a fool. My entire mortgage is paid for, and I'm still having to go to the bank every week. I'm still writing that check. I'm still writing that check. Why? Your mortgage has been paid for. What's the problem? You didn't accept the payment. Now, regardless if you accept it or not, it's still paid for. You see what I'm saying? But you didn't receive the benefit of that payment because you would not accept it. So you still operated in such a way as that it hasn't been paid for and it still cost you dearly. Everybody see that? It's the same way with the gospel. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. All sin is paid for and sin is no longer the issue between us and the Father. That wall has been destroyed. The issue between unbelievers and the Father is their unbelief. It's the very thing that makes them unbelievers. Everybody got that? So no, God's not angry anymore. God has torn down that wall because Jesus died for that sin. And now the door is wide open 
Which means that when you talk about to people about their sin, yes, they're sinners. Their sin cost Jesus his life, absolutely. But their sin isn't the issue. That's why we don't tell people, well, you're going to have to stop listening to that music and you're going to have to stop looking at that website and you're going to have to stop reading those magazines and you're going to have to stop treating your wife that way. We don't call people to get their act together before they can be accepted. All of those sinful things that they are currently doing, paid for. It's out of the way. That's why we call them to believe, not get right and believe. This is why the word repent means change your mind, not do better, try harder, not stop doing those things and promise never to do them again. People get crazy with the gospel. Jamie, the calf was after. God spoke to them audibly at Exodus 20. In fact, here's what's interesting. If you read, Exodus 15 is the song of Moses. We're free, we're free, we're free. Right? And they're having a good time. Why? Because the horse and his rider have been destroyed in the sea. Everything that we have ever been terrified of, we just saw die in front of our eyes. God saved, delivered them, rescued them out of that situation. So they're excited. And then when you read from 15 to the end of 19, you find that they start getting grumbly. They start getting Ugh, like this. Man, this sand is really hot. It's really hard. I don't understand. We ain't got nothing to eat. And they start getting like three-year-olds. Anyway. <laughs> but in doing that, I want fake bar. Anyway, when they start doing that, and here's what's amazing. God supplies for them every time. And he doesn't say a word about their attitudes. They, I know, and we want to sit here and look at them and be like, I mean, we want to do that to them. But we are just as bad. And we have to remember, we don't know what it is to come out of all you've ever known in your life is a slavery condition. You knew you were going to get a meal. They had to feed you to keep the energy going so they could get their temples built. You see what I'm saying? So all you've done is bake bricks all day long and try to live in this servitude situation. And now all of a sudden, shackles are gone. All of a sudden, you know, where am I going to get my next meal, you know? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. Well, that don't help me. I need a Wendy's, man. What is going on here? And then we get that type of complaining attitude, this very selfish, self-serving deal. Well, notice God is teaching them what it is to be free people. And they are rebelling against this freedom and they're rebelling against an infinite loving God providing for them always. That's a scary place to be. So with that in mind, he doesn't discipline them at all. It doesn't say anything to him about it at all. If you read this, read Exodus 15 through 20. It doesn't say anything to him at all. And then after the events of Exodus 20 take place and they are given directions for how to live. Now this is important. Apply the blood while in slavery and you are set free and you are brought out to learn obedience. This is important. This is why obedience is not part of faith. You apply the blood, you're brought out, you learn obedience. And when you learn obedience, you are now accountable for instituting, exercising, embracing what God has taught you. It was from that moment on that when they grumbled and complained against his provision, that's when he disciplined them. But he did not discipline them before. He did not. So that's very interesting to see. He's, he's kind of showing his cards about what salvation is. He rescues you because you've applied the blood. 
Therefore, death passes over. You are set free from the bondage of sin. But then when you are brought out, you start to learn obedience. And that's how that works. So, with that being said, we're out of time. But next week, what I want to do is I want to pick up in Exodus 32, 11, and read through Moses' prayer and see what's going on. But get this, guys. If you don't get anything outside of this, God is not mad at you. Your sin problem has already been taken care of on the cross. Your confession of sin is necessary to reestablish fellowship with Him, but not to have a relationship with Him. The relationship is through faith and faith alone. That's it. He sees you through Christ, and you are spotless and righteous in His sight. That is your position before Him. Our practice, our practice needs some help. Because we often operate in unbelief. But positionally before Him, what is called our justification, Him declaring us legally righteous in His sight, that's full and free. Roxanne. I would say it's not pleasing. Yeah, just like when Paul says, we make, we make every effort to please Him. Go ahead. It will harm us? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you, you have His unconditional favor and grace already in Christ Jesus, so that's a, that's a, a solid and, and good thing. But, but in real quick, where it talks about we make every effort to please Him, the very surrounding of the context in that is Paul talking about the judgment seat of Christ. When we will be held accountable for everything we've done in the body, whether good or bad, for believers, not for unbelievers. And so that's why he says we make every effort to please Him. Every effort to please Him. We want to be pleasing in His sight. So absolutely. But we have the power to be pleasing in His sight because of Jesus Christ indwelling us, Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we are in Christ and we, our life is hidden with Him in the Father. So He's set us up for complete success. We just need to believe and operate in that light. Bobby. Yes. Yes. And, 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 and that's, that's exactly what's right. In order to live successfully, we have to have a dominant truth that we believe to operate. And if that's the case, it's what God has said in His Word. Because if we're not going to believe that, then what are we saying about His Word? It's not true. Well, now we're on all kinds of dangerous ground. Because if His Word's not true, I don't know what else we have in this world that is. We don't have anything. So let's pray real quick. Father, thank You for our time together and help us to be further convinced by the truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.